I'll bring one for you. So, um, God who stays. We're going to talk about the long-suffering nature of God. So we, we think about God, as, as we've been walking through the different attributes of God, we, you know, we've covered so many of them. And, uh, you know, I think my attribute series is, is winding down here. I'll probably be going on to something next here when I do these fill-in messages. But um, the idea of God being long-suffering and patient. And I, I thought about, you know, we, we can think about the fact of, of us being, you know, you think of somebody you know that has a short fuse. We've heard that term before. It might be used to describe any of us at different points in whatever tasks we may be doing. However we deal with our um, kids or, or, or family members or things like that. So the, the idea that we want to kind of hone in to today is the idea of a long-suffering and patient God. And that's what we're going to look at this morning here. So before we do that, I want to uh, start with a word of prayer here just to kind of get our thinking right and, and get set up for the message here this morning. So let's pray. Dear Father in heaven, we do thank you for this day. We thank you for just how you do uh, provide for us moment by moment in the fact that that song that was just sung, that Calvary does cover it all. You died on that cross. You paid the penalty for our sins. And you conquered sin, death, and the grave. And you rose again the third day according to the scriptures. And because of that, we can, by faith and trust in that completed work, we get to spend eternity in heaven with you. So we're so thankful for that. We're just thankful for each and every person here this morning. Pray for uh, my lesson this morning here. Pray that the Spirit of God would just direct my words. Would, uh, the Spirit would be on the, the motivating our, our thoughts and thinking. Even this morning, we just pray for the Sunday school teachers as well and all the, uh, the time they've put into their lessons and even just ministering to the young people in our church. We just even thank you for different opportunities we have here at Heritage Trail to, to get involved in, in ministry, whether it be VBS or camps, and pray for those upcoming ministries. And just what an opportunity it is to, to share the gospel with young kids and, and just uh, be involved with them. And we're just so thankful for that. We just pray for um, even folks that aren't able to be here this morning, people that are going through some tough physical trials. We just pray for them, pray that you would encourage them and those that are going through some upcoming treatments for, for cancer or whatever the case might be, we just pray that you, that you would just uh, undertake with them and just uh, give them a, a willingness to, and, and the ability to rely on your promises and provisions. We're just so thankful for that. Thankful for this time this morning now. In your name we pray. Amen. Okay, so we talk about God being a long-suffering God, and, and we think about the fact that, uh, you know, we... We know folks that, you know, maybe you're somebody that has a short fuse, it's said about you. Um, you're uh, quick to get angry about something. I, I, I would say that, um, you know, as a whole, I, that's not really my MO unless there's certain tasks that are put in front of me, say, you know, working on uh, vehicles or mechanics or something like that, I, I, you know, I tend to have a short fuse. I, I'm not real patient. I think that's, I, I think I'm in a long line of people in, in that regard. Uh, even, even some mechanics that I've talked to tend to get frustrated pretty quickly when it comes to, uh, um, uh, you know, fixing something on a vehicle. You know, and hey, as, as a, 
I'm an engineer, you know, we can't always blame engineers for everything, you know, about cars, you know, let's, I mean, I'm not a mechanical engineer, I couldn't figure out how to design a car, but I know mechanical engineers do, but, let, you know, let's just not be so quick to blame engineers, I'm a civil engineer, you know, I mean, you know, we do once in a while serve a decent, somewhat of a good purpose, but, you know, I don't know, maybe not, I, I don't know, so, but anyhow, I mean, let, let's call them designers. Let's blame the car designer. Let's not blame engineers. Let's not throw engineers into that category. So, but anyhow, so the reality is, is we all have a tendency to have a short fuse, right? We, we all can get frustrated. We all can get angry. Um, you think about dealing with um, kids. You know, it's a funny thing when, when you get, have kids and, and as kids get older, you know, you, you always think back to, like, how did my mom or dad, why, I don't understand why they got so upset at when I did that. It's just, I didn't see a big deal about it. But then time passes and you get older and you have kids that are at that same age and, and they do something and, and it just incenses you or whatever. And you're like, oh, that's why my dad used to get so mad about that. Or that's why my mom used to get so mad. So the reality is, is a, a short fuse is something that I think we can all relate to, right? We can all have, um, you know, that, that mentality with different things in our life. But today, as we talk about the fact that God is long-suffering and God is patient, that's the exact opposite of what kind of our nature says. Think about how our own individual lives would be impacted um, with regards to our individual relationships, our, our family relationships, our, our, our church relationships, our workplace relationships, if we exhibited a characteristic of being long-suffering and being patient, uh, things would change, right? Um, when we're wronged, um, whether it's perceived wrong or whether it's an actual wrong, don't have that first reaction or response to be just to snap, right? Have that have, rather than that short fuse, have a long fuse. And, that's, and, and the title of our lesson today is The God Who Stays. And I, I, the reason why I title it that is, is there's a song that, that I listened to by Matthew West. It's on Christian radio. And, and I just, I kept thinking about it as I, and I, the, the first part of that song says, if I were you, I would have given up on me by now. I would have labeled me a lost cause because I feel just like a lost cause. If I were you, I would have turned around and walked away I would have labeled me beyond repair because I feel like I'm beyond repair. But somehow you don't see me like I do. Somehow you're still there. He's a God who stays, and that's, that goes into the chorus. So, so the idea here is God is a long-suffering, he's a patient God. He sees us differently than we... We're, we're a new creation, right? And he sees us differently. So that, that was kind of why I, I selected that as, as, as the title um, for our, our message today. So um, I, I have some other topics here. These are some of the recent um, attributes that I went over. We saw God's goodness, mercy, uh, wisdom. I, I, these were just in my slides, so we don't really have to touch on those too much. We, last time we were together, we talked about God's faithfulness, the idea that it's in his very nature. All these attributes are. His faithfulness is great. Um, he's faithful in his actions and his promises kept. He's faithful in answered prayer, and God is always faithful. That was kind of the, the title of our lesson last time about God's faithfulness. So we, we look at a God who stays or a long-suffering God as we get into our lesson today. 
probably the best thing we could do is just kind of look at a definition of long-suffering. And as, as you're looking at these definitions, think about how God is, or, or the, the fact that God is this perfect characteristic of long-suffering. And what we'll do today is we'll kind of go through what long-suffering is. We'll, we'll look at, see some verses where it it's kind of lays out, it's in his character, it's who he is. We're going to look at some biblical examples of the fact that God is long-suffering. We'll see how he's long-suffering toward the nation of Israel, toward Paul, toward us. And we'll look at that. And then we'll see what does God desire of us as believers? It is, should long-suffering and patience be part of our Christian walk? And we'll look at that today as well. So the first definition is, uh, of long-suffering is the idea of enduring injury, trouble, or prov- provocation long and patiently. So a, a next one here is enduring pain, unhappiness, etc., without complaint. And that one is kind of an interesting one. Uh, I was... I, I, I was watching something the other day. Um, it was a documentary about a high school football team in, uh, in Alabama or uh, Louisiana or something like that. And this coach who's kind of gotten this team to win all these state championships and, and kind of a brash coach and, and uh, different culture, different mentality. But I was watching that the other day and he, somebody asked him, you know, about like how come you, you see all this stuff happening to your kids and, and their families and you know, they, 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 they have a tough, tough life just living and, and things that we don't have to deal with here up here. You know, we have got other trials and, and troubles. And, and he said, he said don't, you have, don't you have one of the person interviewing him said, you know, why, why don't you complain? And he says, you know why I don't complain? Jesus Christ. And I thought, what a, what a neat response. He said, he endured the pain and suffering, the scourging, you know, uh, crown of thorns on his head without complaint. And it just made me think of this, literally this definition I had. And, and I just thought, what a, what a neat response. And again, I'm not, I don't know if that, that guy's saved or not, but that was his response when he talked about complaining. So I thought it was very fascinating. You think about the fact of what Christ went through on the cross without complaint. Forgive them, Father, for they know not what they do, Right. That, that was his, his response. response. Another definition of long-suffering is a long and patient endurance. And the last one is the idea of being long-tempered, not having a short fuse, but having a long fuse. The, the, long, the word long-suffering is actually a compilation of two Greek words that literally mean long and tempered, long-tempered, to have self-restraint, when stirred to anger. So these are, all the, these are all definitions of the word long-suffering. Patience, very similar word as well. We have the idea of long-suffering here, and here's a bunch of uh, similar words that we see. Forbearing, patient, enduring, uncomplaining. Uh, these are, are some words to consider when you're thinking about long-suffering and, and the, the idea of the fact that God is a long-suffering God. Okay, so we have the idea of his long-suffering nature, and again, we say this about all of God's attributes, it's part of who they are, right? It's in his very nature. Um, it's part of his character. Um, we have some verses here let's look at. Exodus 34, 6, and we'll, we'll, we'll do some page turning later, so I just, I just wrote these down here uh, on the overhead. But the Lord passed before him and proclaimed the Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering, and abounding 
in goodness and truth. So we have this idea here that God is a long-suffering God. This, this is the time when uh, the Lord was writing on the, the, the tablets of stone after, after Moses had broken the tablets of stone, and this, this is the, when he's writing the new tablets of stone. Um, God is a long-suffering God. In Numbers 14, 18, it says, The Lord is long-suffering and abundant in mercy, forgiving iniquity and transgression, but he by no means clears the guilty. So the idea is God is a long-suffering God. He's abundant in mercy. He forgives iniquity, but he's by no means clears the guilty. He's still a God. We think about his characteristic of justice, right? He's a just God. He requires that a penalty is paid. And so you have that factor is like, again, all these attributes, I love how the attributes all kind of weave together and come together as well. David says in Psalm 86, but you, O Lord God, you, O Lord, are a God full of compassion and gracious, long-suffering, and abundant in mercy and truth. So we see here that God is a long-suffering God. In the book of Joel, it says, So rend your heart and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, long-suffering, and, and of great kindness, and he relents from doing harm. And then the last verse I had in the New Testament here is Romans. Or do you despise the riches of his goodness, his forbearance, and long-suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance, leads you to have a change of mindset? That's what it is. It's the riches of his goodness, forbearance, and long-suffering here. So we look at the fact of God is a long-suffering God. And it says that. It's part of his very characteristics. It's one of his attributes. It's in his nature. Um, how about toward the nation of Israel? Turn in your Bibles to the book of Nehemiah. Nehemiah chapter 9. So we have, a, I, I think, a nice little summary here. So we, what do we know about the nation of Israel? When they were the Exodus generation of Israel, when they were wandering in the wilderness, um, Part of, uh, part of what we're going to stu study at camp this year is our theme for camp is uh, um, the Jehovah Jireh, the Lord provides, right? And uh, one, of the, one of the speakers uh, is going to do, talk about the uh, Exodus generation of, of, of Israel and how the Lord continually provided and... and, and um, you know, we see the Lord continually provided for that extra generation. We even saw on Wednesday night here when Stumper uh, talked about um, um, the uh, parting of the Red Sea. And, and we saw all that Israel was up against and, and how the Lord uh, arranged everything uh, to, to allow the, the, the Red Sea uh, and the, the, Israelite, the Israelites to escape the Egyptian army. And... Uh, if you think about the, uh, the, the nation of Israel uh, in the 40 years uh, wandering in the wilderness, I think Nehemiah chapter 9 provides a, a neat little summary here. And uh, um, it, I, just, I think it's kind of a good, good, little, good little passage here. So despite the repeated sin, repeated doubt, repeated worry, repeated panic, um, God was patient. And he was long-suffering with his people, the nation of Israel. So if you, in Nehemiah chapter 9, uh, verse, uh, let's see, we'll start in, in verse um, 8. We'll just start in verse 8. 
I should have started in verse 9 because now I've got to say all these names. You found his heart faithful before you and made a covenant with him and gave the land to the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Jebusites, and the Girgashites and gave it and give, to give to his descendants. You have performed your words for you are righteous. Okay, so now they're, they're talking about this praise to God here. So you saw the affliction of our fathers in Egypt and heard their cry by the Red Sea. You showed signs and wonders against Pharaoh, against all his servants, and against all the people of his land, for you knew that they acted proudly against them. So you made a name for yourself, as it is this day, and you divided the sea before them, so that they went through the midst of the sea on the dry land, and their persecutors you threw into the deep, as a stone into the mighty waters. Moreover, that's, that talks exactly about what Stumper talked about on Wednesday night. Moreover, you led them by day with a cloudy pillar and by night with a pillar of fire to give them light on the road which they should travel. You came down also on Mount Sinai and spoke to them, spoke with them from heaven and gave them just ordinances and true laws, good statutes and commandments. You made known to them your holy Sabbath and commanded them precepts, statutes, and laws by the hand of Moses, your servant. You gave them bread from heaven for their hunger and for their hunger and brought them water out of the rock for their thirst and told them to go in to possess the land which you had sworn to give them. So we see here all that God did and continually did for the nation of Israel. You saw, you made, you showed, you divided, you led, you came, you made known, you gave. Um, that was all because of what the Lord God did for the nation of Israel. And we know how they responded. Verse 16, But they and our fathers acted proudly, hardened their necks, and did not heed your commandments. There was this constant um, lack of trust, lack of um, um, acknowledgement, so to speak. They refused to obey. They were not mindful of your wonders that you did among them. So we see that they continually um, turned away or, and doubted and said, Lord, what, why did you take us out of, um, you know, out of Egypt, out of bondage, that we should die in the wilderness, right? That's what they continually said. But they hardened their necks, and in their rebellion, they appointed a leader to return to their bondage. But, at the end of verse 17, but you are God, ready to pardon gracious and merciful, slow to anger, long-suffering, abundant in kindness, and did not forsake them. So we see this here. Was he a God who stays toward the nation of Israel? Yeah, he was. Um, we'll see further on in our message here that he's a God, that same God is the God who stays for us as well, too. Um, you think in the Old Testament, well, it, it continues in verse 18. Even when they made a molded calf for themselves and said, this is your God that brought you up out of Egypt. Um, skip down to verse 21. Forty years you sustained them in the wilderness. They lacked nothing. Their clothes did not wear out and their feet did not swell. Uh, at the end of verse 28. And many times you delivered them according to your mercy. So ultimately it's about God's provision, his goodness, 
man rebels, right? Man turns away. Um, his way is better than God's way. Um, God continually gives a gracious response or a gracious reply, and, and there's the people for a moment said, oh, good, finally we got it, and then they, the cycle continued, right? I mean, it's similar to even like the, uh, the, the, the judges or, or, or maybe the kings as well, too. There's, you know, this idea of God provides, man rebels, God corrects, um, and there's a restoration there, and then the cycle continues. So um, God is a patient God. God is a long-suffering God. And that's um, through all of this, through all of the 40 years of wilderness wandering, God doesn't change. God remains faithful, and he's patient and long-suffering. And we see all these provisions that the nation of Israel had were provided by God. Um, I suppose I should be clicking along through here. Um, there you go. I didn't, I didn't really do a good job of meshing up my uh, notes with my, my PowerPoint today here, so sorry about that. I kind of got a little, little excited there. Um, so we, we take a look at that, and... Um, uh, the idea of God's long-suffering and patience towards the nation of Israel. Well, what about toward Paul? Let's turn in our Bibles to the New Testament, 1 Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter 1. So we saw here that God was long-suffering and patient toward the nation of Israel. But what about Paul? Paul, um, in the book of 1 Timothy chapter 1, we can see here, I, I would venture a guess, to say that this passage is likely going to be covered by Pastor Gus in upcoming months as one of the prayers of Paul, likely, but um, not sure how long that, that'll be or when he'll get to that. But So you, you'll get a little bit more in-depth shot at this here. So um, 1 Timothy 1.12, and it says, I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has enabled me so we see here that Christ Jesus has enabled Paul. So we think about Christ's sufficiency enabling Paul. He counted me faithful. Now this is Paul writing. Um, he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry. Although, who was Paul? Although I was, verse 13, formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, an insolent man, a violent man, but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was exceedingly abundantly, exceedingly abundant, which with faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. So we have this idea of where Paul was at and where God in his grace and mercy and love had brought Paul. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. Paul recognized the fact that he was no better than anybody else. In fact, he was the worst of the worst, he said. I'm the chief sinner. Verse 16, However, for this reason I obtained mercy, that in me first Jesus Christ might show all long-suffering as a pattern to those who are going to believe on him for everlasting life. So this idea here, um, this long and patient endurance, this long, his long-suffering character toward Paul is described perfectly here in verse 16. 
Um, Paul said, I'm the chief of sinners in verse 15. The Bible knowledge commentary said, if God was patient, I think I might have it on here, if God was patient and gracious enough to save Paul, he is patient and gracious enough to save everyone. That was, that was kind of the, the idea here coming forth in, the, in this verse, um, verse 16, that, that uh, was written in First Timothy here. So we, we have this idea of God was long-suffering towards the nation of Israel. He was long-suffering toward Paul here as we have this. What about toward apostasy in the days of Noah? I don't know if, I think I put that on there. In 1 Peter 3.20, it says, Who formerly were disobedient when once the divine long-suffering waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is, eight souls, were saved through water. So we have this, this thought or this idea of the Old Testament in, in Genesis chapter 6 and 7, uh, where we, we have the, the idea that uh, the, the world had gotten, um, uh, you know, th- there was all kinds of, of, of evil and, and uh, there was apostasy and, and God had commanded Noah to, to build an ark. And um, we don't know the exact time, timeline of, of, you know, how long it actually took him to build the ark. I, I know in, in and it talks about 120 years, but whether he actually was building the ark that entire time, the Lord said, uh, the Lord had promised it was all coming to an end in 120 years. So whether he was building that ark the entire time or, or whatever, that, that's for others to, to debate from that perspective. But um, the idea is here is that God was long-suffering. And the, we look at the ark, uh, the, you know, we, we've done this, I've done this at camp where we, we talk about the ark and, and uh, you know, the, the idea that the ark is a, a type of Jesus Christ and a comparison of I am the door, if any man enter in, he shall be saved. Um, the idea that only the folks that were, the, the eight people that were on the ark survived the flood and they were the only ones spared uh, from judgment. Um, that didn't just happen overnight. There, God, God was, uh, was long-suffering. And when the, it, it says here there, there's a, a, different, um, a, a different translation of verse uh, 20 here in First Peter, it talks about, and it says, uh, when the long-suffering of God waited patiently. Um, God was long-tempered. He had self-restraint. God said he was angered in Genesis chapter 6 about what had, had ended up happening, right? But he was long-suffering. He, you know, ultimately, he wants all people to be saved, right? But we have to make a, a decision. We have to make a conscious decision to accept Christ as our personal Savior. How about toward us? And that's what walks us right into 2 Peter. 2 Peter chapter, let's turn there, 2 Peter chapter 3. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. 2 Peter 3, 9 says, The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. 
he's not slow, as some count slow, as some understand slowness. That's another translation of he's not willing, he's not desiring that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. All should have a change of mindset, have a change of thinking about the plan of salvation, about what he sent his son to do for us on the cross. He loves us. He provided a way of salvation for us. And he wants us to have that change of mind about what gets us into heaven, an eternity with Jesus Christ. It's nothing of ourselves, but a belief in what his son did for us on that cross. So we talk about this all the time, but it's important to make that distinction that God is not long, he, he is not slack concerning his prophet, promise, but he's long-suffering toward us in the fact that he wants us all to be saved. See, we were born in Adam, right? We're born sinners. So we, we've, got, we've got a sin problem. We are all sinners. We're, it says in Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There's none righteous in Romans 3.10. No, not one. So anything that we do that would amount to any sort of value in our own thinking was described in Isaiah 64, 6 as filthy rags. All of our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. But God has a solution for us. And that solution is the fact that he sent his only son, Jesus Christ, to pay the penalty for our sin. We talked about this. We, 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 we are, I already referenced it earlier. The fact that his son, Jesus Christ, came down to earth and hung on that cross and paid the penalty that you and I and every person, past, present, and future, deserved. We're all born sinners. There's no way we can, anyone can be born uh, without a sin nature, right? And that, that's evident. Anybody has, has kids, young kids, you don't have to teach a, teach a young kid to shake their head no. They figure that out really quickly. You don't have to teach a young kid to fold their arms and, and not want to do anything. They can figure that out really quickly. They have an inherent sin nature. Um, so that's really easy to see. In Romans 6.23, it says, for the wages of sin is death. So God, being a righteous and just God, says, you know what? I can't have fellowship with sin. I can't have communication with sin. So I ha- there has to be a penalty paid. So the wages of sin is death. That penalty is death. But what happened? God, in his love for us, said, you know what? I'm going to send my son down to earth to die on that cross, to, to take on the penalty that everyone else deserved. And, um, and he did that. And he did that willingly for us. God, God knows that everything that we bring to the table doesn't measure up. And he said, God says, but I'm going to show my love toward each and every one of these sinners, um, and I'm going to send my son to die for them. Uh, we think about the fact that what happens next? Well, man's got this problem. God has a solution. Um, what do you need to do? Well, 
We need to believe it. For God so loved the world, right here, that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. The response is simple. You believe it. You take that free gift of salvation and you accept it. There's no strings attached to a gift. I mean, there isn't, maybe sometimes in human perspectives, right? Um, there might be strings attached. Well, if I, you know, if I do this, uh, then I know I'm going to get this. Not in God's um, plan of salvation, not in his free gift of salvation. He's asking us to accept that gift. Believe it. Um, in John eleven twenty five, 25, when Martha is talking to, to John and, you know, Lazarus has died and, and um, um, in, she says, well, if you would have got here earlier, Father, he wouldn't have died. And he said, to her, I'm the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die a physical death, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? It's that simple. The plan of salvation is a simple plan. It's just accept it, believe it, and you get to spend an eternity with Jesus Christ. And you get to spend an eternity with with other believers in heaven, with a glorified body, and uh, getting rid of all these these aches and pains that 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 we may have. Um, what a what a great uh, what a what a great promise! What a great promise for each and every one of us. God is long suffering toward us. He's patient toward us. He loves us. Is He the God who stays? For each and every one of us? Yeah, he is. Yes, he is. I'm thankful for that. He's a God that's always with us. He's, he's never going to leave us nor forsake us. Um, the moment we become saved, we are forever his. And that's a, that's a promise that we can't, I don't even think we can fully comprehend just how amazing that is. We think about his love for us and the fact that he never leaves us. Um, in that song, The God Who Stays, there's a, there's a bridge. In the song. I never knew what a bridge was until I start, started seeing pastor do all these songs. So, but, so I know this is a bridge in the song, but it says, my shame can't separate, my guilt can't separate, my past can't separate, I'm yours forever, my sin can't separate, my scars can't separate, my failures can't separate, I'm yours for and forever. No enemy can separate no power of hell can take away your love from me. We're, we'll never change. You're the God who stays. God is a long-suffering God. No matter how many times we, we push him off or push him away, he's still there for us. And uh, what, a, what an amazing God we have. You think about him, who God is and his attributes, it's, it's mind-blowing to think about the fact that in his long-suffering nature, he, it, it's almost like he, you, know, you, you have, in, in, in an earthly perspective with, with our friends, with our family, and man, am I convicted by this so much in, in my own life? You have, you have relationships that sometimes go south, right? With, with your friends or with a, a family member or whatever the case might be and you look at 
what the Israelites continually did to God, the Exodus generation. You look at what we continually do to God, and he's a God who stays, he's long-suffering, he's patient, and uh, it's, it can be very convicting as you get upset about some minor thing that uh, a, a friend does to you or a family member does to you, and you take that and you hang on to it, and you're like, nope, I'm Nope, that's it. I'm done. Written, written off. They're written off. I mean, we've all said it. We've all done it. And uh, aren't you glad God didn't do that? Aren't you glad God was a long-suffering God and gives us every chance to be saved? He wants, he wants all of us to be saved and be a part of his family. What, um, that, that's, uh, that's pretty convicting if you think about it. 2 Peter 3.15 says, And consider that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation, as also our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given to him, has written to you. So that's the idea here, is this patience and long-suffering of God, the ultimate goal, is our salvation. That's what he wants. What a merciful, loving, patient, long-suffering God. So... The challenge to us is, can we be long-suffering and can we be patient? Well, we certainly can, not in our own strength. Um, we've, I'm sure many of you can relate to the idea of having a short fuse or having a, uh, that I started this lesson off with, being quick to anger right? Again, things that um, all of us, I'm sure, can relate to. But once we become saved, once we've accepted Jesus Christ as our personal Savior, we have the Holy Spirit that indwells us now. We have an old sin nature, we have a new divine nature. And ultimately, um, the Lord wants us to be operating um, by yielding to the Holy Spirit and with our New divine nature. In Galatians 5, and 23, it says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance, against such there is no law. That's, I learned it in the King James Version. That's the New King James. So I, that's, that, that's the difference there. But again, God is a long-suffering God. And his, we can exhibit the characteristics of being long-suffering um, and frankly, that's the only way we can because our first response when somebody wrongs us is to get angry, right? I, that, I'll be honest with you. That, that's, that's my first response and uh, I can't believe that person did that or why would they do that? That makes no sense. Um, when you're not thinking right and just that, that, that instant first response is to, to get frustrated and to get angry and to have a short fuse, but ultimately, we can, by yielding to the Holy Spirit and allowing um, the Lord to kind of direct our thinking, we can be long-suffering. And that's, that's what he wants. Um, in, uh, well, let's turn to John, John chapter 15. John chapter 15, it, it kind of goes off of Galatians here a little bit. John 15, uh, the idea here is the Lord wants us to be abiding, right? And when we abide, we're going to bear fruit. That's what it comes down to. So in John 15, 
verse 1. It says, I'm the true vine, and my father is a vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. So ultimately what he's saying here is, as believers, our our goal, our goal, we need to be resting and relying. We, Jesus Christ is um, the vine. And we are branches off of that vine, and we need to be abiding in him. Our strength, anything that, you know, the, the, the fruit hanging on the end of the branch is getting its nourishment from the vine, from Christ. And that's allowing that fruit to grow. It's, it's, not, it's not the branch. It's the, the, the source of life is the vine. The source of growth is the vine. In verse 5, it says, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides, abides in me and I in him bears much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. If you take a branch off the vine, the fruit stops growing. Um, there is no fruit. There's no production of fruit. Uh, so that's the idea here, is as believers... Um, anything that, that we produce is, that's fruit-bearing in nature is done so by a rest and a reliance and a yielding to the Holy Spirit and allow the Holy Spirit to direct us. And that's what we have to remember. That's what we have to remember. Sometimes we forget that. Um, I, I think it's easy to forget that. Um, in Galatians 2.20, it says, I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me, and the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. It's not you. It's Christ who lives in you. And that's what it comes down to. We're no longer citizens of this world. We are citizens in heaven. And um, that, that's, that's, we have to keep that thinking in our kind of forefront. Um, the idea of being long-suffering and patient it's not going to come from us. It's not going to come from our, our immediate, uh, you know, the quick, quick response, right? It's going to be, it's got to come from the Holy Spirit uh, and a yielding to the Spirit. It, it just won't. We see long-suffering and patience here exhorted by the Apostle Paul in Ephesians 4. 1 through 3, it says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling which you were called with all lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. So we have this idea here of this, this is really what should define our Christian walk. Walking worthy of the calling with we are called with all lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing one another in love. You're not going to bear one another in love by flying off the handle. You're not going to keep unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace by writing somebody off the first time they wrong you. Maybe it's the tenth time they've wronged you. Maybe it's not the first time. 
Um, but you're, you, you're commanded here. You're, the, Paul is saying your worthy walk should be with humility, lowliness, gentleness, with long-suffering. D- is it fun to get kicked in the teeth? No, but the reality is, is the Lord wants us to respond with long-suffering and patience. And I, I kept thinking about that as I was, as, as I was going through this, and, and I'm, as, I'm as guilty as anybody. I'm, you know, sometimes it's, you know, <laughs> regardless of what, whether it's a work relationship, a, a family relationship, a, a, a ch- yeah, yes, a church relationship, right? Oh my gosh, no. Maybe there's people here that don't like somebody else. Yeah, that happens, right? Um, you, you get people that are, are working together, ministering together in different ministries, and they, they have a ministry that, th- or, or they think that this is the way it needs to be done. Somebody else thinks it's another way it needs to be done. Can there be conflict? Yeah, yeah there, there can be, absolutely. But the reality is, is if we approach this with the right mindset, with the right thinking, of, with humility, with lowliness, with long-suffering, bearing one another in love. And it doesn't mean that there's not going to be conflict, but, but let's endeavor to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. I mean, that's, I, I think that, that's what should define our Christian walk. That's exactly what it comes down to, the importance of humility, the importance of, of bearing one another in love, being long-suffering here. We see it in Colossians 1, verse 9. Another one of prayers of Paul's here. I'm, I'm stealing some of Pastor's thunder here, you know, in the next few, uh, next few lessons here. But um, for this reason, also, verse 9, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you, to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that you may walk worthy, again, a worthy walk of the Lord, fully pleasing him, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, Strengthened with all might, according to his glorious power, for all patience and long-suffering with joy. Paul's prayer is that this worthy walk consists of patience and long-suffering with joy. How? According to his glorious power. We can't exhibit these characteristics on our own thinking, on our own uh, mentality. It's not going to happen. It just won't happen. You have to channel the, the power, you know, the, the Holy Spirit has to reveal that through you, right? I, I don't know how, to, how, how else you can say it. Paul's prayer is that a worthy walk consists of patience and long-suffering with joy according to his glorious power. Uh, you, you think about the fact that God is a long-suffering God. Is he a God who stays for us? Yeah, he is. God is a God who stays. And can we be long-suffering and patient? Well, we can, not in our own strength, though. That's for sure. One thing I like to do with these uh, studies on the attributes is I, want, I like to look at the different, some different names of God. And I literally spent, I, I, I don't know, I, 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 probably a couple, different, a couple hours and a couple different times going through different books on the names of God, uh, 
Google searches on the names of God, and I couldn't find one name of God that talked about patience and long-suffering. So that was a bit of a disappointment. So um, I feel like there should be an L something or a Jehovah something that talks about God as long-suffering, but I couldn't come up with one. So again, I'm not going to, if it's not there, you can't force it, right, type of thing, but I don't know. I don't want to say that was an oversight, but I mean, I think there should be an L or a, a Jehovah that talks about God is long-suffering. But um, I did find this little, little nugget, and I thought that was pretty good. Um, if you look at this, but is a Stephen Charnock. Now, he's a, a, a 17th century Puritan, you know, so you're not, you're not getting a lot of Stephen Charnock stuff out there right now. But, um, and I have one of these books that is like, like this big. It's written by... I think it's Stephen Charnock or whatever, and I mean, it's, it's almost un, hard to read the, like just how, how they wrote back then in the 1600s. It was, it's very, it's very labor-intensive if I, if I start to read some things on that. But I saw this quote um, somewhere. I don't know. I wish I should have wrote down where I got the quote from, but it's not mine. But it said, Stephen Charnock, a 17th-century Puritan who wrote considerably on God's attributes, makes an interesting observation about God's patience or long-suffering by suggesting that the greatest expression of God's power is his patience. And I, I saw that line, and I was like, wow, that, that, that's kind of weird. So it goes on to say, we might think that his power exists in a lightning bolt or a hurricane or an earthquake or a tornado. Um, uh, I, I thought about when Stumper was going through on, on Wednesday night, the, the Israelites crossing through the Red Sea and, and just the wall of water, I think he said it was like 700 feet high based upon the depths into the, um, the depths into the the. the, 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 the spine of the, or the, the little inlet to the Red Sea that they crossed or whatever and it was like 700 feet deep and um, you know, I, sorry I gotta say this because it was on my mind here but the, uh, when he was talking about that if you're here on Wednesday night he showed like the, the slope and the grade down into the, you know, so I'm a civil engineer, you know, let's not, you know, so slope and grade, that's kind of what I do, roads, things like that, and uh, he talked about the slope was like 5%, and that's, that was a perfect grade to take a chariot down, and, you know, my, my whole world now is, uh, you know, we have to design things uh, with the American Disabilities Act in mind, so 5% is the maximum grade that you can design a, a sidewalk without having a flat area for a ramp. So I just, it just, I thought, well, God knew about ADA, you know, long, long before we did, I guess. But so no, that, that just, sorry, that was just a little sidebar. But, but you think about the amazing power of God and the fact that that 700-foot wall of water, the, the awesomeness of an intimidation that must have been for the Israelites to, to cross through that, and then it all collapses on the, on the Egyptian army. Um, just awesome power. But while those things, getting back to this quote here, while those things are indeed powerful, for God they are nothing. He could destroy the earth with one snap of his finger. But how much patience and self-control does it take to rein in such power? And I thought that was, wow, what a neat way to talk about the greatest expression of God's power is his patience or long-suffering because he could end it like that. 
But he is not willing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. All should have a change of mindset, a change of thinking about who he is. And um, I just thought it was a neat way to uh, bring this idea of God's long-suffering to a close. So I guess with that, we'll, uh, today is the first Sunday of the month. We're going to uh, celebrate communion this morning. So when we talk about communion, um, it's uh, just a, an observance, uh, a remembrance of God's amazing gift for each and every one of us. And that gift is his son, we've talked about it, dying on the cross for our sins. And so that's what communion is. It's, uh, we, we look at, we, it's just a time to remember. That, that's all it is. There's nothing, we're, 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 we're told to, to observe it, um, observe communion. And our church has elected to do that on the first Sunday of every month. So there's, there's nothing um, mystical about it. We're told to continue this practice until he comes. Um, there's, the idea is, here is communion is for believers. If, we're, if you have accepted Christ as your personal Savior, the Lord says, yeah, I, I want you to observe this remembrance. And um, the idea of you know, so there's, there's a couple of thoughts here for, for those that um, are uh, here and are going to take part in communion. Th- there's a couple of thoughts is that you would, um, you know, we're, we're told in 1 Corinthians 11 to, to not take it unworthily. So the idea is you're, if you're a believer, you're to examine yourself to, to, to be in fellowship and, and, and not have unconfessed sin. And, and, you know, just the idea of, you know, Lord, um, you know, let's, let's kind of, you know, get me back, get my thinking back into alignment with you. That's what, what confessing, agree with God. That's what confessing your sins means, to agree that I, I need to get my thinking straight. But the idea of taking communion as an unbeliever it's, it really offers no remembrance. So if you're not saved, if you haven't accepted Christ as your personal Savior, um, the idea of taking communion doesn't, it doesn't really do any. It does nothing for you other than you, you get a little, little thing of grape juice and a, a, a little wafer. That, that's all it does. Um, there's no remembrance if you haven't accepted Christ as your personal Savior. And I would just say if you're here and you're not saved, the biggest thing would do is just think about that. Just think about what Christ has done for us and the simple plan of salvation that we all, we, I mean, I had this up before. We all have a problem. We're, we're all sinners and the wages of sin is death. But God commendeth his love toward us and that we were yet sinners. Christ died for us. So I would say if you're here and you're not saved, I would challenge you to make that decision to accept Christ as your personal Savior today. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. We don't know what's going to happen when we leave here today. We don't know, um, you know, what, what the Lord has for, for us, for, for each and every one of us. We don't know when the rapture is going to come. But the, the, the Lord, you know, now is the day of salvation. Now is the accepted time. So, 
if you're not saved, there's not going to be any, um, you know, no one's, no, no one's keeping track of who's grabbing, uh, um, you know, the, the, the elements as they pass by. You just let them pass. But give that some thought as you think about why, why would Jesus Christ have hung on that cross and died that horrific death when he could have got out of it, right? He, he could have got out of it. He could have said, no. But he did it for us. He did it for each and every one of us. He's a God who stays. He's a loving God. He's a patient God. And he's a God that executed a perfect plan